I'm so glad you're joining us for this episode of Street Soldiers on hip hop, the feds and snitching. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. You can find me and follow me on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at Lisa Evers. And you can catch up on all of our Street Soldiers episodes, both Hot 97 Radio and Fox 5 TV free of charge on my website, LisaEvers.com. And you can also hear the podcast version of the show on SoundCloud, Lisa Evers, and also on iTunes. And if you subscribe, you just get a notification when uh, we drop a new episode, which is every single week. Now, in this episode, we're talking about hip-hop, the feds, and snitching. After Takashi 69s plea deal, some say the street code of silence is a thing of the past, especially when cooperating with law enforcement, especially the federal government, can shave years, even decades, off your sentence, like it very well could do for Takashi 69 But his speaking to the feds, his cooperation may have cost him his life because he's had a number of death threats. They've had to move him around in different levels of custody just to try to keep him safe while he goes through this whole period as we await his sentencing. But he's not the only rapper that has been in trouble with the law in this particular way. And that's why we're talking about it with this amazing panel that we have on this episode of Street Soldiers. Joining me is Philip Hamilton. He's a criminal and civil defense. He's a criminal and civil. Let me do it again. I wrote it. No, I just I wrote it wrong. Criminal defense and civil rights. Right. Yeah. I had civil and then it's. I'm thinking civil lawsuit. Okay. <clears throat> I'll do just joining me, right? I don't have to do the whole thing. Okay. They can edit, right? Okay, perfect. Okay. Joining me for this episode of Street Soldiers, Philip Hamilton. He's a criminal defense and civil rights attorney based in Manhattan. Philip, great to have you with us. Thanks for having me, Lisa. Thank you so much. Also joining us is Aaron Gadsen. He's a former federal inmate turned entrepreneur. He's also the author of a new book called You Already Won. Aaron, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you, Lisa. We really appreciate it. Also joining us is Tore. He's a hip-hop artist. He's the host of Hip Hop Nation on Sirius XM. He's also the the CEO of Internal Affairs Entertainment. Tere, great to have you with us. Thanks for having me, Lisa. Thank you so much. First of all, just give us a sense of how people looked at Takashi 69 because he was, even before all of the involvement with the justice system, he was very controversial in hip-hop. Absolutely. I think this day and age, um, you know, like trolling is really big. Sensationalism is really big. And he was able just to use like the antics and social media and really just like getting under people's skin to his advantage. But it all happened so fast. You know, he really came out of nowhere. He shot up really fast, you know, and then he got involved or we started to roll out this other image and you know it just it just like it went up really fast and it went down really fast um but i think that people who really are involved in hip-hop and really know the streets kind of saw that story and where it was going to end up but did he was he taken seriously as an artist Absolutely. Absolutely. The one thing about Takashi was even with all the antics and the trolling and the getting under people's skin, he made really good music, you know, and I think that's the saddest part of this whole case is because the kid was really talented, um, but it just went too far. You know, I think everything that he was doing to blow himself up and really gain his popularity, you got to know when there's a line and not to cross it. And I think he just kept pushing the boundaries and pushing the boundaries. Um, and like I said, the saddest part was that he really could have been like a great artist because he made some really good music. No, he did. He did. And he had a very loyal, very loyal fan base. Um, Philip Hamilton, when you saw the, the, the charges against him, and I saw something I never really saw in my career as a, as a reporter, the Southern District, the, the U.S. Attorney, they, re they released photos of him off his social media at the bail hearing, even before there was an, a, you know, any kind of resolution or movement with, with the case. What did you make of this whole Takashi situation, just big picture? 
Big picture, I think that, I mean, let's just take a step back to where he stands right now. Okay. Right? We, we, we've heard a lot in the media. I know we're going to be discussing a lot today um, just about the, the, the snitching and, um, you know, why is it that it's come to that? You know, he was looking at 47 years as a minimum all the way up and until life. Um, you know, at this point, I think you made a good point when you talk about how Takashi kind of crossed this line from entertainer um, into, you know, really some real life kind of street stuff that lots of times will end you up, if not in state Supreme Court, in federal court. And, you know, he's in the Southern District. I think that he was very leveraged uh, with respect to some of the actions that he took trying to promote his career, trying to get that publicity, trying to be, you know, all the way out there, trying to be eccentric. He crossed a line that, you know, actually violated a lot of federal laws. And he was put into a position where he had to, you know, take this plea that currently right now remains open, right? When you take a plea in federal court, you don't do so um, with a promise of any given sentence. You just generally know what your guidelines are, right? And right. the judge in this case made it very clear that with respect to some of these racketeering counts that he's facing, with respect to some of these weapons charge that he's, charges that he's facing, with respect to the narcotics charges that he's facing, he was looking at a sentence of 47 years to life. Um, you know, that back in the day, pre-2005, would be mandatory for the most part. Wow. So uh, he could have been, if this happened at another time, he, he could have been down for a long time. But let me let me bring in Aaron Gadsden. And Aaron, you've turned your life around. You're an entrepreneur now. You're an author. And I want to talk about that transition and that journey. But just from a street perspective, what people were saying on the streets about Takashi, do you think they expected this? That some people say he didn't know what he was getting into, that he was kind of manipulated by these older guys that were were much more street smart than he was, who saw him as kind of a moneymaker and kind of jumped on board. What, what was your perception of that when you saw that? A little bit of all of that. Um, first things, most people don't know the exacts of what, what's going to happen to them as a result of their particip participation in any crime they're doing. Right. However, Takashi, he followed a lifestyle based on what, what he wanted to look like. So... And jumping in the streets, you don't get a chance to determine how it's going to play out for you. It worked for Great him point. as far as publicity, but then you have you have some some big shoes to fill when you have to deal with the consequences. So you're saying it might have been it, it was like in terms of publicity, definitely worked for him, but it just it t there's also a, re a real element to that too. The real element is the fact that if he had enough guts to say, "I think you should go harm this person," or I'm this kind of guy, whether it be gangster or positive, those consequences you have to stand up to at the end of that day. Teray, and what about the, the um, Aaron brought up the lifestyle. It's like we, we still in hip hop, like there's that whole, there's still that credibility issue right. to be taken, you know, taken seriously as a rapper. You, you sure. want to have that street cred. What extent, to what extent do you think he went, you know, he used that for that? I mean, street cred in hip-hop is, is very important, but also, like, hip-hop is entertainment. One thing about the streets is, like, you can't actively be in the streets and actively be an entertainer. Those two worlds intertwine, but you can't exist in both. You can't have one foot in this side and one foot in that side. You can't be on social media and talking about ordering hits on people. Like, that's just ridiculous. Like, real street dudes, you know what I'm saying? Like, I grew up in Brooklyn, 80s, 90s. Real street dudes didn't want to be on camera. They didn't want to be seen. They were low-key. Right. Now, it feel like all of the, like, dudes who's supposed to be the realest in the street always holding their phone up. You know what I'm saying? You got people issuing and beefing battles and I'm going to see you and I'm going to pull up and we're going to shoot you up on Instagram Live. Like, right. that's crazy. That's crazy. Like, you making it super hot for yourself 
And I just don't understand that mentality because the feds is watching. Like, it's not just a song title. They don't like, even they need hip-hop watch, police yo, they anymore. Don't even it's need, just, they just don't even let people's social right. media. All you got to have is Wi-Fi. You know, <laughs> just Wi-Fi and cop some coffee and some donuts. And you know what I mean? We're putting these indictments down. It's crazy. It, Wi-Fi it, it, has gotten is, a lot of people a lot of time. It um, is and crazy. And I think this generation in particular... Um, you know, we were kind of talking about this, but how they... So, so let, let me, let's pick up on that point. We need to take a short break sure, right sure. now. But the, the whole social media, because that's been a big big sea change in the culture and also with the streets as well. This, this is Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. We'll be right back. Hey, yo, 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 what up, what up? It's the infamous Mob Deep prodigy right here, you know what I mean? And this is Street Soldiers with Lisa Evers. Real issues, real politics, you know what I mean? and real people only on Hot 97. Welcome back to Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. In this episode, we're talking about hip-hop, the feds, and snitching. Is the code of the streets now a thing of the past? That's what we're going to find out from our guests. Joining me is Philip Hamilton. He's a criminal defense and civil rights attorney based in Manhattan. Philip, great to have you with us. Thanks for having me, Lisa. Thank you. Also with us is Aaron Gadsden. He's a former federal inmate turned entrepreneur, and he's the author of a new book called You Already Won. Aaron, great to have you with us. Thank you again. Thank you so much. Also joining us is Torrey. He's a hip-hop artist. He's the host of Hip Hop Nation on Sirius XM, and he's also the CEO of Internal Affairs Entertainment. Now, this is one of the things that a lot of people talk about is that, you know, guys that were really doing it would never talk about it, but now people put all of their business, even their dirty business, even stuff that the can get them a charge on social media, Philip, how easy is that making it for law enforcement? It's making it very easy. Uh, you know, there was a time when, you know, law enforcement would have to go through a very strenuous procedure behind getting search warrants, you know, like tapping phones, um, you know, you name it to try to get an investigative kind of leg up, right? Like on a lot of, uh, you know, defendants. These days, to the extent that your profile is not private, right, and you are just one of these people that are eccentrically living and, and trying to put forth that street life, that street image, uh, you know, with the guns on social media or with, you know, whatever it is that you're doing, all of the cash, like putting it out there, so right. to speak, not keeping it quiet, it can be used against you. Um, and it's even better a lot of times than I think a lot of what, you know, sitting around waiting on the phone for, you know, if you're a DEA agent or if you're an FBI agent, waiting for the defendant to say something that you can circumstantially kind of tie in. Right. Now, I mean, this is direct evidence that you posted to your, you know, site of, you know, these credit card scams or, you know, of your drug trafficking. And it comes or, with the location, right? And the timestamp. With everything. I mean, it's it, it, it couldn't be better, you know, for federal law enforcement agencies, for state law enforcement agencies in terms of, you know, the hip-hop police or, you know, however it used to be, uh, I think life has just gotten a lot easier for them, say, than back in, like, 97, 98, you know, things along those lines. Back in those days. Hey, Ron, tell us about your situation. How did, how did you end up in a federal prison? Well, um, circa 2007, I was indicted on uh, 841B1A. That's a federal conspiracy charge uh, for distributing five kilograms or more of cocaine. Uh... It took on a variety of shapes. I had phone tabs, 40,000 plus. Um, it was... 40,000 plus phone taps? Yeah. Uh, it was a variety of people, at least 30 co-conspirators at one point, and um, they collected all of this information to try to structure their case. Uh, I had bugs in my car. I was followed pretty much everywhere I went. Um, DVDs, you know, by the stack. So... They wanted to, you know, get some evidence on all of these drugs they heard about in my area, and I was a target. And then what happened? Tell us what happened with your case. What happened with my case was um, 
ultimately it came to a head. It was a few uh, informants. It was some evidence from from some parts, but as it directly pertains to me, there was no physical evidence. It was um, informant uh, testimony as well as some documents, uh, financial um, background, uh, and that was it. I, I ended up going to jail, and it takes a lot to fight a federal case. It took a lot of money. But, did, but let me just ask you this: in terms of the in terms of the topic, the snitching, did they ever did they ever? Because you got sentenced to what? Twelve years? Twelve and a half. Twelve and a half years. One hundred and fifty-one months to one eighty-eight. So well, you know that code after you go through it, right? Mm -hmm. So did they did they at some point come to you and say, "Listen, Mr. Gadsden, if you give us some more information about you know where these sure. drugs came from or whatever, sure. you could be back home with your family in you know two, three to five or whatever." That actually took on a, a variety of shapes. Also, uh, initially, they came to me and said, "Hey, Ron, you're in a lot of trouble. We know you you have the drugs in the in the area, and we want to make sure that." You don't. You seem to be a great guy. You, we follow you around all the time. You're a good father. So let's make this burden easy on you by you coming in, you know, and you bring your lawyer and you you guys uh, tell a story and get you out of here. So my answer was that's never gonna happen. So uh, my lawyer, who was very close to me at the time, he said, well, you know, I'm affected by your scenario. My family is. Your family is definitely gonna be devastated because your daughter needs you and you you the sole support of the family let's get you home as soon as possible so I said yeah that's that's a bet um you know let's do it let's get me home so he said all right I'm gonna bring you in I'm bring me in what that what that mean so he said well I'm have you cooperate you don't even hang out in the streets no more you don't go around your friends you in church and it ain't gonna be a far stretch for you to disappear I said that I can't do that disappear um, disappear wow. meaning right. Like, just don't make myself visible to people that I love and like and or people that I came across in the past. What happens is this. A lot of people tell themselves it's okay to snitch based on the fact that I'm not going to need these set of people no more. So that, that, that I'm going to survive, you're going to die kicks in. And that self-preservation never works for a person that has uh, a sense of right and wrong in a way of I'm going to stand by my convictions. Nobody made me sell drugs, so thereby I don't want to bring everybody else's family in because I got caught. Excuse me. So you decided to take it like a man? I took it like a man. Um, Stood tall? I had to stand tall, and, and it wasn't a, a gangster thing. It wasn't a I'm trying to glorify gangsterism or whatever you could call it. I think it's a matter of this. I chose to do certain acts. Those acts led to this consequence. Whoever else had something to do with it, shame on them. Or good fortune for them that I got caught first because I wouldn't destroy 10 families because my family was destroyed by my decision making. Right. So that's a, that's a stand up guy. That's an honorable guy. So you're saying that this this idea of like everybody's talking to the feds is or everybody's talking to the for deals and stuff is is not really happening. You're you're proof of that. That's that's a definite. Um. I don't think it applies to everyone. I think definitely is an ever-changing thing. In the beginning, it probably was little to none. Then that turned into some. Now it turned into a lot. Now right. it turned into people actually telling on themselves via social media. Telling on themselves snitching. Right. It's like self-snitching. What do you think about that, Tore? I mean, 
like the code of the street is you don't snitch. That's just it. Um, I think people get it misconstrued. You know, if you're a civilian and you see something happen and somebody wrongs you, then that's not snitching by going to the police. You had nothing to do with anything. You right. weren't engaged in any criminal activities. You're, you're a victim just, or a witness. Right, you're just right. a victim or a witness. Um, that is not you, snitching. When, but like Aaron said, when you decide to make choices and decisions you have to live by those consequences if you a stand-up person now a lot of people fold under pressure you know they buckle um and and those people aren't built for that but what comes with it is the consequences of your actions and you should be ready to stand up and just deal with it you know that's that's what's honorable you know that's what's honorable but a lot of people don't have honor these days phil what what about the the percentage of people you know that do cooperate and and what do you think of that whole situation you know that, that's the interesting thing because it's all relative, right? So when we talk about, you know, who can deal with the pressures, I think the first thing you need to break down are what exactly are those pressures? You know, in your case, you kind of broke down what the guidelines were um, that you were looking at anywhere from what, about 10 to what, 5th? To life. 10 to life. All 10 right. to life. Right. So, Whoa. you know, in that respect, it just kind of boils down to how do you deal with those pressures? Were you aware of those pressures before you got into, um, you know, the business that you're in? I think you make a very good point where it's like to the extent that you've made these decisions to enter into the game, to the extent that you've made these decisions to put your family um, at risk, then you need to be the one to take responsibility for that. Not everybody is built like that. Maybe and not, not everybody takes responsibility either, right? right. Not they everybody. blame the society, they blame the neighborhood. Or the person they that blame brought everybody. me in, or the person right. that let me know, you know, well, to the extent that you then need to know about them. I mean, look, we, we see this all the time. Um, and, I, and I think to the extent that the, the hip-hop community or civilians are surprised that this happens, I mean, it's just, it's the nature of business. Especially in federal court where you're talking about, um, you know, there's plea rates there are 95, 96 percent. Nobody's going to trial. Um, and there's a reason for that, <laughs> because there's a lot of cooperating, um, not just amongst the defendants in the hip hop community, but, you know, the Paul Manaforts. Right. Like, right. The, you know, politically you, 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 across the board. That's the nature of the business. And to the extent that the Southern District or the Eastern District or any federal court, um, you know, has been investigating for years on end, you how you deal with that pressure when it comes. It's some people take your route. Others, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting across from AUSAs or state prosecutors, and I'm, I'm, I'm involved with the cooperation with my clients. You just never know, you know how it's going to break down. But it, it's up to the individual. We're going to take a short break. This is Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. We'll be back right after this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Salute. This is General Steele from Smith & Wesson. And right now, you're listening to Street Soldiers with your girl, Lisa Evers. Real issues, real politics, and real people. Only on Hot 97. Welcome back to Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. In this episode, we're talking about hip-hop, the feds, and snitching. Joining me for this conversation, Philip Hamilton. He's a criminal defense and civil rights attorney in Manhattan. Phil, great to have you with us. Thanks for having me, Lisa. Thank you so much. Also joining us is Aaron Gadsden. He's a former federal inmate turned entrepreneur and author. His new book is called You Already Won. Aaron, great to have you with us on the show. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you so much. Also joining us is Tore. He's a hip-hop artist and host of Hip Hop Nation on Sirius XM. He's also the CEO of Internal Affairs Entertainment. Tore, great to have you with Thank us you, on this. Um, there was a lot of controversy also with another hip-hop artist, with Troy Ave. After the shooting at the Irving Plaza, he said he has since said um, that he regrets following the code of the streets. He said if he just told cops what actually happened for real right after it happened, that he would not have been in the trouble that he's in now in terms of legal situations. Teray, what do you think about that? That's such a tricky one because, you know, he, he definitely made his living as an artist and he represented a certain thing and it was bricks in his backpack and it was, you know what I'm saying, like all of this right. um, street 
cred, you know, that he built himself up off of. And then when the situation got real and it was an actual gunfire, you know, and somebody really close to him got shot, that puts you in a, it got murdered. It, it puts you in a very awkward uh, situation. You know, do you tell what you know or do you live by this code of the street? That one is, is, is a tricky one. But I think overall, you know, you just look at the environments that we come up in. And sometimes people say like, you know, uh, they blame the environment, right? Like one of you guys alluded to blaming the environment. Um, and and uh, to a degree that's real, you know, that this systemic, like, these things don't just happen by coincidence. In isolation. Right. right. You know, these things happen because there's a plan and a set in place and there's some things that we brought into the community and there's some hardships and you know, that we have to deal with. Right. And you're trying to get out of that by any means necessary, you know. And, and so sometimes people don't make the best decisions, you know. Um, but I think ultimately what happened was Troy's career took a big hit. You know, Troy was one of the hottest rappers in New York City um, at that time up until that point. And since then, I think his career has definitely, you know, gone down and and. and notoriety and credibility um, since that whole incident happened and, and rest in peace you know to, to the family right. of his partner that was murdered right exactly rest in peace to him and, and condolences right, to the to family right to the McFadder family definitely sure. um, Aaron when you heard that heard about Troy Ave saying oh the code of the streets I, I shouldn't follow it I should have talked to them I should have cooperated I should have done all of that what did you what did you think when you hear having gone through what you go through when you hear stuff like that what do you think I mean he has a great point um what happens in this instant is this is a man that, that chose to follow a certain ethic. Somebody challenged his life. He, by all intents purposes, defended his life. Right. It was some reckless nature to the defense. He came into a crowd of people. He shot a gun. Unfortunate scenario. His friend got killed. At the end of the day, no matter how tough he was, People are going to turn their back on him because his circumstances shifted from him being a winner to him being a possible loser for life. Right. The street ethic or code that he's referring to, that's a myth that I read. I can't tell him his experience has led him down the wrong path. That's how he feels today because it's some truth to that. Right. Nobody could raise my daughter for me. When I was in jail, nobody could take her to school every day or help a potty train, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So when you follow these codes, it come with a big price. That man lost his livelihood or a and lot of his life. And, and reputation yeah. just by trying to to defend himself and stick to this code that, you know, seems to be ever so evaporating as time goes on. Phil, Phil what about that in, ter in terms of the people knowing what they're getting into? You, you've represented many clients, right. Eastern District, Southern District, the criminal court, the state criminal courts. Do do they know what they're getting into? Like like what Aaron said, he took responsibility for his action. But do they, or or is it just so glamorized that they just think they can beat the system? Generally, you know, I think I may have to go with what you just said, right? I mean, it's 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 specifically what what client am I dealing with? You know, what's their level of intellect? What's their level of experience with the system? You know, those you know. Clients, for instance, who've been in your situation, right, who I deal with, who've served time, who've kind of been through the process, um, they come in with a different stature. Um, they come in, like, with an understanding, less anxiety about what the system um, is going to bring. And in that realm, I, 
I see them tending to make decisions that are based like less on fear and, and more pragmatic, if that makes sense, right? Um, but for those who kind of don't have the experience, remember earlier we were talking about like the pressures and stuff like that. Well, you just alluded to it with respect to your daughter, right? When you're saying like nobody was going to be able to take her to school. And, you know, when those pressures with respect to family come in right. or with your livelihood or your career, you know, some people maybe have gotten too far and haven't really recognized like what they've built up and what they have to lose until sometimes it's too late. You see. So, so coming back to the Takashi case, do you think Takashi to any of you? Do you think Takashi didn't know what he was getting into? They because his his first attorney, uh, Lance Lazaro, said he was never even knew these guys, the the alleged nine tray gangsters, that he did not even know them until they were showed up at a video shoot that he wanted them there for a video shoot. I guess for that street you know street authenticity. And then from there, this relationship and involvement happened very quickly, just as his career was exploding. Do you think he knew Teray? Do what he's getting? I feel like, at? I mean, from the outside looking yeah. in, of course, I feel like it just happened really fast, you know, and it spiraled out of control. And sometimes, you know, before you can even grab a hold of the steering wheel, you know what I'm saying? You all the over car's the road, already right? off the road. You know what I'm right. saying? So, you know, it just it seems to me like that was the case. Like it happened so fast. His ascension, you know, I mean, he went from nobody knows this kid to having records with Kanye West and Nicki Minaj, right. you know, to having beef with all of these different rappers to, you know, now we're hearing about, you know, gun violence and shootouts and things like that. And now, you know, he's 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 cooperating, you know, so it was just like one of the biggest stories, but it was a whirlwind. And I don't I'm not sure if he knew exactly what he was getting into or the severity of, of what was happening. You know, I think it just really, really it really just took on a life of his own really quickly. Literally the fast life. Yeah. Like literally and it was it was too fast, I think. Yeah. You know. Because he's, got the, he's surrounded by guys who are really still very active in the streets. And then he's got these record deals and getting invitations to these other things. And then when he, I guess, tried to separate himself, too, that's when things started to get tart. Yeah, yeah. Once you get tied in with certain people, there's no way to get away. You know, you dead or in jail. Aaron, what about his safety? Because the uh, people say that he's, you know, the, the federal government said that they were very concerned about death threats against his life. They were concerned about death threats against other, some of the co-defendants as well. And they put him in protective custody. Now they put him in this other secret place um, that's kind of like off the books, a secret place, supposedly secret. How much in danger is somebody like that in general? Like, is it, is it possible? I mean, that- it varies. Um, it depends how serious the group of people that's against him is. If, if they have the capabilities to affect such a violence on them, then I guess it's possible that he's in danger. Um I think for a lot of reasons, the the government also used their positioning with these words to say, this guy's in danger, so we need to afford him these protections. So, And maybe may have hyped it to make him course. feel like, it, like he needed their protection? Of course. Um, just like saying he's in, in line for serious time, that helps him tell and that helps them justify if he cooperates to this extent, then we should afford him a lesser, lesser, lesser sentence. Because at the end of the sentence, I'll be surprised if he get more than five years. Really? really? Phil, Phil a, what about that? It's a leveraging tactic. I mean, it just depends on what ultimately is he going to come in and share, right? Like, to the extent that it's a game. That they don't already know. Well, that they don't already There's five co-defendants. Right. Well, I mean, they may not be taught. I don't know. Remember, like, right, a, we that indictment yet. was under seal and, you know, things along those lines. So we don't really know. But to the extent, you know, if he comes away with five or if he comes away with 47, a lot of it is dependent upon where really are the AUS, 
where are the federal prosecutors trying to go with the case? What exactly are they trying to do? They're clearly exerting leverage over him. And, you know, with respect to whatever cooperation he gives, it's going to have to be substantial. It's going to have to be um, authentic. It's going to have to help. Otherwise, they can ultimately just come in and tell the judge at the sentencing, you know what, he didn't cooperate at all. He didn't help at all. And to the extent that he didn't, you know, being in front of Judge Engelmeyer, that'll, that'll be a problem. That'll be a problem. That judge is a tough judge? It, he's one who, you know, to the extent if you're actually going to do what you said that you were going to do with respect to the you better government, produce. you better produce. Like, you better be in a situation to help. Don't come in there and try to play him. That's the best way that I can put it, because to the extent you do, he's going to see right through that. The, the judge, though, the judge is not the barometer. The U.S. attorney is, is the barometer of how much you're cooperating with what they set forth for you. So the judge is just a, the gatekeeper of, did he do what he said? Yes. Period. So they but even give, then, remember, the judge isn't then tied to whatever the federal prosecutors come back with, right? So even if they come back and they say, look, he was the most helpful, you know, cooperator, right. he was the most he helpful was great. He ever. gave us a whole long list of names. You know, he could still get 47 this to is life. True, you but know? This is, the likelihood of that is so small. The judge goes on a recommendation of the U.S. attorney nine out of ten times because this is the system that they created. If the system is supposed to work, when somebody does put their life out on the line to cooperate and keep that system going, they right. have to reward them people. That's, that's, the, that's, that's the, the way the game is, that's the so way the we'll game is played. And so we'll, we'll see what he says. That's the way the game is played. It sounds like a bunch that? of manipulation on both sides, if you ask me. You know what I'm saying? Just somebody caught in the middle of somebody manipulating you for, you know, you want to get out of the you want to get out of the hood and you want to make money to now you in stardom and now you in trouble and now if you want to get out of 47 years, you want to go back home. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like... We need guidance, man. We need guidance from from the ground up and, and from people that, you know, have your best interest at heart to keep you out of situations and when, like that. And when there's that much money that fast, yeah. it, it can attract the, right. the wrong people around sure. you. You may not be getting the best advice. Well, this is Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. We'll be right back. Yeah, yeah, NYC, what up? You already know who this is. Your boy, Uncle Murder, a.k.a. East New York. And right now, you listening to Street Soldiers Live on Hot 97 with Lisa Evans. Real people, real issues, real politics. You heard? Brooklyn. Welcome back to Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. In this episode, we're talking about hip-hop, the feds, and snitching. Joining me for this conversation is attorney Philip Hamilton. He's a criminal defense and civil rights attorney based in Manhattan. Phil, great to have you with us. Thanks for having me, Lisa. Thank you so much. Also joining us is Aaron Gadsden. He's a former federal inmate turned entrepreneur. He's also the author of the book, You Already Won. Aaron, great to have you with Thank us. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you so much. Also joining us is Teray. He's a hip-hop artist. He's the host of Hip Hop Nation on Sirius XM and also CEO of Internal Affairs Entertainment. Teray, great to have you with us. Good to be here, Lisa. Thank you. Thank you so much. Now we look at some of these cases. You look at Bobby Schmurda, had the you know Hot Boy, the clean the clean <laughs> title. Hot Boy was like the song you heard everywhere. Everybody was playing it. It was it was just like wall to wall Bobby Schmurda, and then he got caught up on those charges and and did that time. You look at Tay K, the the teenage rapper from Texas that went on this cross country. He had the, but he had the music set to drop. He had people dropping music for him and all that while that was going on. Bobby Schmurda, people say his career is kind of done right now. What do you think about that, Ture? Um, I think I think Bobby has a great chance of being able to pick up when he gets out. You know, I think he's coming home in a matter of less than two years right. at this point. You know, he's still young and he's still hot. You know, he, 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 he took the time 
and you know um, he's going to come back with all his credibility. So I think if the music is still good, I think Bobby Steph definitely has a shot at you know being able to pick it up. You know, but the music has got to be good. You know, but there's a story there, and there's definitely interest for Bobby Smurda and the GS9. Absolutely, more. and especially because when he was cut, when he was cut, you know, cut down and whatever. But in, ter- in, ter- in terms of how not to get caught up. Aaron, you look at the, like the evidence. The, the they put it in the music. It's in the lyrics. It's in the promotion. It's in the social media. Look at the Takashi case. Those were stills right off of Instagram and Instagram Live that were used to get him actually indicted in in the first place. Do you think that the these up and coming rappers, the ones that are in their teens and early twenties, that they don't really underst- understand the criminal justice system, and that putting stuff out there like that can be used against them, or do you think it's do you think it's a, or do they think it's a game? Right. Like well, when you look at it, I think a bit of both. Um, I know they don't understand. They they take, let's say Jay Z for instance. He's a, uh, he's admitted to selling crack uh, numerous times through all of his albums. Cool. People think that authenticity means that I could show people now that I've sold crack. Jay Z was well past that day. Right. So when he reflected on his activities when he was in the streets. It was when he was already made. He made it now. Exactly. Right? So he just gave you a, a little glimpse of this is where I came from. And, you know, painting that picture helped him form his brand. Now people, especially young guys, they're young and they're actually going through the moment as the album is coming out. So they're trying to live it out as well as tell a story. And that's evidence. Bill, what about that in, ter- in terms of the social media being used for evidence? Because it's it's in terms of how valid it's considered by law enforcement and how damaging it can be to somebody, where do you rank it? Very damaging because, you know, look, to a certain extent, it could be circumstantial. To a certain extent, it can be direct. With respect, if you're the prosecution, you're saying, look, this is direct evidence of this activity. This is direct evidence that he's involved in drug dealing or he's involved in, you know, money laundering, what have you. You know, the Defense attorney, you always have to come from the perspective of, look, this is just entertainment. You know, this is a lifestyle. Um, I, I remember probably like when I was in college, I, I remember the, uh, Project Pat, Juicy J's brother. He was going through a situation like this in Tennessee um, where they were trying to use a lot of like the music from like a lot of the 3-6 the albums and things along those the lines. Lyrics, the lyrics. A lot of the lyrics to right. basically say like, look, he's involved in all these things. And I remember his attorney pushing back. It was like a big state case at the time just saying, no, this is entertainment. This is the the this is the character that he portrays on, 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 on the album, but this isn't actually who he is. And it's still basically to this day is the argument that's going on in terms of being a defense attorney. The difference being back in, you know, 88, 89, whenever Jay was doing this back in 02, when I referenced this Project Pat situation, we didn't have Instagram. We didn't have Twitter. We didn't have Facebook. Um, so even if Jay would have wanted to be more lively and instead of just wearing the gold chains and everything like right. everybody in Brooklyn did, just put it on the gram, um, he couldn't. And so that kind of protected him in a way. But these young kids, it's not so much about like wearing the gold chains and, you know, wearing the Adidas suits. It's like literally look. Like it's showing here. you. Right. <laughs> right. It's right. like proof. It, but, but it's in real time. And the difference with you know as you talk about Jay-Z and song lyrics he always talked about it in past tense right and I think with every album he gave you a little more of the story as mm-hmm. time had passed and so you know you look at Statue of Limitation and things like that like okay I can tell you a little bit more I can pull a little bit more back of the cover whereas now it's like yo it's right now it's in real time I saw a video or he can literally say I'm storytelling oh, right? right he can right. always because walk there's it back. no video there's right. no there cell phone videos and no video, no Instagram there was, there, there was a um some guy was on live and the cops busted right in his crib off right on alive like it was crazy <laughs> what are you doing what are you like doing you're, you're telling them exactly where you're at oh, location man. is and on what, what are you right, doing right, right, exactly. 
Right. That's that's. Hey, Ron, what do you think when you mm-hmm. when you see that? I mean, people. Unfortunate. Um, people believe that this helps them seem more authentic. They feel like if they could show people in real time that this gun is real and I'm willing to use it, people gonna say he's definitely real. Go get his album. Now they might go get your album, but you will be in jail. <laughs> right. So right. take care as you a really example. Be in jail. He got so many streams after he was locked up. His streams kept rising. Right. Sure, he earned it, but he didn't get a chance to cash in on what. What it was and enjoy for. that success. Yeah. And enjoy that success. What about if you, Aaron? If you from from you, everything that you've gone through and this this transformation as you re- rebuilt your life after you came home, what would you tell a Taka- what would you tell a Takashi six nine? Like if he's like, listen, I don't know, I don't know what to do. I'm, you know, he's like, can't really trust anybody. What would you tell him? Talent sales. If you could avoid messing your life up to prove that you're real, then do. Go the route of, of of least resistance because I would say the resistance come with you say to yourself, I got my friend, I got my friend, it's my whole neighborhood, and we love each other. What happens is when you take your fall, your friends can't protect you no more. You're on your own. This is your battle now. Your life has just changed. You're the one that's plucked out of your friends. I have friends that I had to tell, I'm going to jail. You stay away from me. You stay away from me. Because if I go to jail, I can't have your families be messed up because of my decisions. Right. These things, these people don't understand because they're not willing to have the jail portion of the decision making be a part of the narrative. They want the platinum record, say I shot him, they can't challenge me as far as being real, and now I went on every instance, but it doesn't always work out that way. Are we in danger on the flip side though? Because because of all these high profile, you know, high profile artists and, and, and catching these bids and these charges and all this. Are we in danger of glamorizing that lifestyle? I think it's glamorized. I'm, it is glamorized, but I'm hoping that this kind of sets a precedent for, for artists coming up to kind of look at what happened with, with, with Bobby Smurda, would look at what happened with Takashi, you know, to look at what happened with TK and say, Oh wow, there are real consequences to these actions. Maybe I need to dial it back or maybe not go that route at all. You know, I'm hoping that I'm hoping that they look at, you know, the downfall of some of these artists and with the detriment, you know, that it had on their career. And they look at it and say, OK, well, this isn't the way to go. Exactly. And Phil, in, in, ter- in terms of the, you know, keep, keeping it real where they draw the line. Right. That's what this is about. I mean, we were just having this discussion um, in terms of like it's knowing where that line is. Like I get to the extent you have to in, in any business, you have to market to your market. Right. Like your brand has to appeal to, you know, that market wanting to listen to your music or you know retain you as attorney, whatever it may be in business. Um, that being the case, I think the warning line for like a lot of these young you know rappers coming up is that you have to be careful with what you put out there ultimately being used against you as real, even if it wasn't, even right. if you know you're a phony, even if you know you're fake, right. you have to be careful of like potentially being leveraged to get the real people, right? Let's presume you're like hanging they, around. Do, don't they go for the person with the big name first? The big name and, and, and the, the weak link yeah, at right. times. I hate to say it, but the weak link. So to the extent if we want to look at Takashi and say, all right, you weren't necessarily authentic, you weren't necessarily like from the streets, we can use you to get the guys that were coming to your video shoot who are real, who otherwise wouldn't put themselves in this position. We'll just use you. 
and then we can, you know, take care of them. Like, to the extent, this is what I think you were trying to say earlier. Maybe he's not necessarily the biggest focus. We don't know. We have to learn more about the facts that they come out. But to the extent that they were trying to go after someone bigger, boom, Takashi was the bait. And you take it from there, right? And also, certainly got a ton of attention for them. A ton of attention. A ton it, of attention. It also sets a precedence. If guys in his position are willing to drop everything that they was just showing as street allure, others will come forward too. So it sets a precedence in the office of the, the Southern District to say, we broke one. Everybody else is going to follow suit. They, they, they weigh on these things. They make their own bets to, to see how far this street code is going to work. Evidence to the side, it helps their agenda if you not only get caught with the evidence, but you ha are willing to say everybody who played the role. Because some people might get away. Some people might not be there the day that they taped that taping. So, so Teray, it, come, to come back full circle to our to our topic too. So, snitch it. So, Takashi's been called a snitch. He's been called out as being a snitch, proven as a snitch by you know being a, a cooperating witness. The court papers prove it and everything. Can he come back from that? If he comes out in say five years, can he can he come back from that in terms of the hip hop? This is a really interesting case. I think you know to go back to unprecedented. This is the first time I think we've been presented with something to this magnitude, and I'm pretty curious to see how it plays out. You know, um, I think these days a lot of the younger generation just don't care. You know, they just want to be entertained. They don't care about you know. If you're authentic, that's cool. But if you're not and you say you are, that's cool, too. You know, we just want to be entertained. If he comes back out and, you know, he make a couple good songs and he gets back into, you know, whatever's Changes going on. hair and, color. Right. If he gets back into whatever's <laughs> going on at the time and he makes his mark in that, he might have a shot. You know, whereas back when I was coming up, like, once you snitch and, you know what I'm saying, you on that side now. You can't hang out with us no more. You know what I'm saying? Um, I think nowadays, I think we see a lot more leniency with what with the generation is willing to accept as long as they entertain and you're giving them the product that they can still consume. And would you tell them to read You Already Won, your book? Uh, I would tell them to read You Already Won. <laughs> it gives you some, some insight to how your life is affected by the influences of the people you love, um, your neighborhood, et cetera, et cetera. And what happens is we make these decisions based on how much we love somebody or how much we love where we're from or how much we want to be accepted. And we don't, we don't play it out all the way that you might know death jail is the end result to your actions, but the day death jail comes, then you're shocked. <laughs> right, so, you like it. I didn't think it was. I didn't think it was going right. to come to this. So up to that point, we love all of the people that fed us the poison. We 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 care about the neighborhood so much so that we'll destroy it to to maintain it. Right. <laughs> I don't know how we justify that oxymoron, but um, I think for Takashi um, in this in this day, he may have another shot. There's a lot of people in North Dakota and Wisconsin that don't know why. Not snitching or standing by and they your don't care and they don't, they don't care, care for like to Teray's point right. that it's it's entertaining. Phil, just real quick final word. So, where do you think the case is going to go? Because he's he's technically awaiting sentencing, but they gave the next court date as like a year a in year the future. So, what kinds of things are going on now behind the behind the scenes with this? Would you guess? I, good point. In terms of what I would guess, um, there's going to be a series of meetings, most likely, that he and his attorneys are going to have with the AUSAs, the federal prosecutors, um, wherein, uh, remember what I was saying earlier, to the extent that they're trying to go after some of these bigger 
real people or what have you, um, they're going to need to know more information about like what led up to, you know, the situation that happened in Times Square with the shooting or, you know, just what do you know about these people that we otherwise wouldn't be able to see because maybe they're not on Instagram putting everything out there. Right. Maybe they aren't, you know, putting themselves in a position where we can just figure it out. We're going to use you. So the extent of those meetings are just going to be breaking down. How can we use you to figure out what we need to know about them? And to so, be, so like how, like where, like where did you get the gun, or who got got the gun for you? Where did the drugs come from? All this kind of stuff. C- correct. And you know, with respect to the plea, he kind of had to say where the drugs were coming yeah. from, right? We know at least that you know some of them were coming out of the country, but I think it was his understanding that they were coming from California. Oh, how do you know they were coming from California? Who from California was sending? Where? But, for, and, and that might open up a whole another investigation, you know, out there in the ninth that's circuit. That's crazy. So, this is what they want. Okay, so like, right. I, I think that's where we end up going. We just kind of have to wait and see. Wait and see, and I'm sure we'll be talking about it again. I want to thank you all for being with us for this episode of Street Soldiers. Attorney Philip Hamilton, great to have you with us. Thank you so much. Great to be here. Aaron Gadsden, great to have you with us. Uh, my pleasure. Thank you. Appreciate you sharing your story with us. Thank you very much. And good luck with the book you already won. Thank you. We appreciate that. And Tore, um, thank you so much for being with us and uh, keep up the great work talking about the whole hip-hop scene and everything so and getting the word out there. We appreciate sure. it. And thank you for watching this episode of Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. Remember, use your mind. It's your best weapon. I hope it's your only weapon. Let's push for peace.